And so I thought, you know, well, originally we were going to extend, we uh, just finished this series on the Old Testament, and originally we were going to extend it into this week, and I thought, you know, I think for baptisms I want to do something a little different. I want to take advantage of, of like what we get a chance to see very visually and challenge us to think about how like we're, um, like what's our part in all of this in our lives? Like if you sit here this morning and you would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like who are the people that each of us are investing in and helping Jesus make sense? That's one of our, that's our foundational value here at Grace Church. We live to make Jesus make sense. Like what are people in our lives that we're really trying to help Jesus make sense with? And so what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of scripture. You know, so I'm, I'm thinking about these 10 people, all this stuff sort of swirling around in my mind. And I was reading in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, about an example where a guy, a guy named Paul and some of his friends, they go out and um, they, they do what God is calling them to do. And you see God use them to help Jesus make sense to people. And I'm reading this, and there's things that are just jumping out to me. Like, we live in a different time period. We have a different, you know, experience of life. And yet these things that Paul and his friends did almost 2,000 years ago have direct relevance in our lives today. And so I hope to encourage you by looking at this together, to challenge you, to inspire you with some of this stuff. So here's the plan. Here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I want to take um, some time and I want to look at this passage together. I want to like pull out four things that have, I think, direct relevance to our lives today. And then I want to talk about baptism. So we'll kind of transition at that time. And I want to talk about baptism and like what's happening. Like maybe um, you have no idea what baptism is, right? Or maybe you have a different experience of what baptism is. And so I just kind of want to get on the same page and define it and that sort of thing. I'll take about five or so minutes to do that. And then um, we're going to end by um, having the folks that are being baptized at this service actually be baptized. So I think it'll be a really cool celebration at the end. So um, if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab it and open it up to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Or you could use, you could open up your Grace Church app and you can read it on there, or any Bible app or anything that you got there. But Acts chapter 16, 6 is where we're going to be. And as you're flipping there, let me give you a little bit of context. So anytime we jump into a passage in the Bible, this is just a good habit to get in. It's really important to know like what we're jumping into. You know, like we're going to jump into a middle of a book here. And it's really important to know what's going on in that book. So let me give you a little bit of context here in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts picks up, so it's a, it's a New Testament book. So the first part of our Bible is the Old Testament. We just, like I said, did a series on that. The second part of our Bible is the New Testament. It tells the life of Jesus and on into the church, right? And so the book of Acts picks up right after the Gospels. So the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels, and they tell about Jesus. They tell about his life. They tell about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins, about he, how he rose from the dead. He resurrected. And then he showed himself. Think about this. He showed himself for about 40 days to hundreds of people. They actually saw him. His disciples saw him. Jesus is like, I'm alive again. Look at the wounds. Put your finger in the wounds if you want to, right? And then he ascends back up into heaven. And just before he does, he says, and by the way, I'm coming back again. I'm coming back again, right? And so after all of this stuff is where the book of Acts picks up. And so um, Jesus' disciples, his, his, his closest friends, his closest followers, who saw him die on the cross, who saw him get buried, who saw him rise again, right, and experienced him, they see all this stuff and they start telling people. 
Like, like you got you to know what's going on. That, the, that Jesus died, he rose again, and he's the savior of the world. That by trusting in him, we can be free of our sins. So the apostles, they, this is what the book of Acts is all about. They go out and they're telling people and they're telling people. And while they're telling people, simultaneously, God is opening people's hearts. Like God is doing a work inside of people. And you see people, one after another, come to trust in Jesus. And you see these churches being built up. This is what the book of Acts is all about. And so the passage that we're going to look at is um, that's what's happening. You have this guy, Paul. He's one of the apostles and some of his companions. And they're going out. They're traveling around. They go on these missionary journeys. So Paul and his buddies, they travel all over the place by ship most of the time which could be very dangerous, right? But they go all over the place telling people that have, they have no idea who Jesus is, telling them about Jesus and what he's done. And so where we're going to pick up is as Paul's doing that in one, in one of these times. And God does something really, really cool that I think is going to challenge and encourage us. So here it is. So this is Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. So it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia telling people about Jesus having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's interesting. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. That's interesting too. And so they passed by Mycenae and they went down to Troas. Let me stop right there for a second. So I think this is really interesting. Like you see God leading Paul and his companions and they're listening to him. Like somehow, we don't know exactly um, how or why he said, don't go to Asia, don't go to Bithynia. But somehow God knew that. God communicated that to them. They're listening. They're understanding, right? And so they go, okay, we're not going there. We're not going there, right? And so l let me go on. So they go somewhere else. Here it is. So during the night, this is verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia or a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, that's where they were, we went out to sea and we sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And later it goes on and says, she and the members of her household were baptized. And I read that and I think, man... That's really powerful. So it's a different context. It's a different time period. Like we get in cars to go places. They're jumping in ships to go places, right? Like it's, there's a lot of differences there. But you see these guys, Paul and his friends, his companions, living their life on mission for God. And so what I want to do is I, want, I just want to quickly share with you four things that as I read that, I think this this really applies to my life, and I think it will apply to your life as well. So here's the first thing. So um, verse 9, look back at verse 9. It says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia 
and help us. So Paul and his companions are traveling around, right, on these missionary journeys, and God is leading them very specifically where they're supposed to go. And he gives Paul this vision. I don't think he was sleeping. It would have been called a dream. And so he's just there, and he has this vision of this man from Macedonia who's essentially begging them to hear the gospel. And I don't know what you think when you hear that. I, I read that, and I'm like, well, that's weird. You know, like, what, what in the world would that be like? That is, that is extraordinary. Like, that kind of thing doesn't happen today. And yet, here's the thing, guys. God, like, God had very specific plans for Paul and his friends, and he was leading them. And God has very specific plans for us, too. Like, in your life, God has very specific plans. He has very specific people that he's put in your life just like he had specific people he put in Paul's life. So here's the first thing. I read that, and here's the first thing that, like, jumps out to me. All these are questions. Here's the first one. Are there people in my life begging for the gospel? Right? Like, Paul has this vision. It's extraordinary. I guess atypical, right? We don't often experience that sort of thing. But are there people in my life that are begging for the gospel? Maybe they're not begging in a vision or a dream or even literally but maybe God has put people in my life who are searching. You ever think about that? Like, you know anybody in your life that maybe is struggling in a way? Sometimes they, their life is really terrible and they're searching. Sometimes it's really good and they're searching. And they're like, is this all that there is? And they're searching for hope and truth and meaning and peace, like Lydia was. We'll get to Lydia here in a second. Are my eyes open to see their searching? I think about people in your life. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend of your kid, right? It could be anybody. But are there people in your life that their lives are begging for the gospel? And are your eyes open to see them? It's so easy to like live our lives with tunnel vision, you know? Or we're just kind of doing our own thing. We're worrying about ourselves. I mean, if... if if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, God's got plans for you. And he's put people in your life for you to share, share the gospel. So that's the first thing. Like, is, is there anyone in my life who's begging for the gospel? His life is begging for the gospel. Here's the second thing. Actually, let me give you a set of verses. and Let me pull two things out of this. Look back at verse 10. So after Paul had seen the vision, it says, We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to the sea. We sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we went to Philippi, a Roman colony in the district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. I read that, and there's two things that jump out to me in these verses. Here's the first one. Am I listening to God as he leads me to share about Jesus? Like, am I listening to God as he leads me to share about Jesus? So before Paul had this vision, obviously, he's trying to, like, listen to God. He wants to go where God is calling him to go, where God is leading him. And after he has this vision, it's like all of a sudden, bam, crystal clear, right? Begging this person in this vision, begging him to come and share with them. What does he do? He responds, right? Like immediately he responds. It says he got ready at once to leave from Macedonia. And so God gives him this vision and he listened and he obeyed and he followed where God was leading. And I think about that. I don't know what you think about. I think about that and I think, well, what about me? You know, like if my eyes are open and I see, am I listening to God? 
Like when I recognize that God has put somebody in my life whose life is begging for the gospel, am I like single-minded in sharing with them, you know? Am I focused on sharing with them or am I hesitating? And if I hesitate, maybe a good follow-up question to ask ourselves is why? Like why, why am I hesitating, you know? I, I want to see the people that God has put in my life and then I want to share with them as God has opened those doors to share. Because if we hesitate, sometimes we miss our chance, right? The, the, the other thing I don't want you to miss in all of this is with Paul and his companions, I want you to see like the great lengths that they were willing to go to in order to share with these people in Macedonia. Like they're willing to travel to Macedonia, <laughs> Right? And, and maybe that means nothing. Like, we're obviously not talking about the Macedonia that's close to here. It's a, it, maybe like the geography means nothing to you, but I pulled out a map this week and I'm like, I wonder how far it was from where Paul was in Troas to go all the way to Macedonia. You know how far it is? I did a little rudimentary math measurements. About 150 miles. And so he's got this plan. He's like, I'm willing to sacrifice, I want to do all these things. And I want to go where you're calling me, God. And God says, go 150 miles, which is going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. And it's dangerous. And I want you to go and I want you to share with these people that I'm opening up for you, that I'm preparing for you. And so here's, here's the second, I guess this is the third thing overall that I get from this. A ask yourself this question. Am I willing to do what's hard and or uncomfortable as I follow God's leading? Like in my life, as my eyes are opened and I see like people that God has put there whose lives are begging for the gospel, am I listening to him? And am I willing to do what's hard and sometimes what's uncomfortable? Because sometimes, guys, like the people that God has put in our lives, it's not always um, easy and efficient and safe to share with them, right? Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's costly, Sometimes it means sacrifice for us. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. And we can sit back and we can go, oh, I don't know. Like, what if I got it wrong, you know? What if I, what if I misheard God and I, or I misinterpreted what God said? And if I talk to them and all of a sudden I offend them. And then what if, like, our relationship with, is weird? Like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't talk to them. Have we ever experienced that? I have. In fact, I have recently. I was, I was praying just kind of spend time with the Lord, and I felt like um, there, there's somebody in my life, I guess my eyes were open maybe, to somebody in my life who I'm friends with, I know pretty well, is not a Christian, they're they not a follower of Jesus, and uh, was really convicted, like, why aren't you talking to them? Why aren't you more intentional about talking to them about Jesus? Like, I, I felt that very clearly. And you know what I did? I hesitated. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, like, make it weird between us. What if they don't want to hear about Jesus? What if their life isn't at that point? Like, do you know how selfish that is? This is me, right? I think it's almost like, you know, somebody's dying of cancer and I have the cure for cancer and I go, I don't want to offend them by giving them the cure. It might be weird. It might make, they might not want the cure, right? Like, it's so easy for us to do that. And I look at Paul and I'm like, he inspires me. God gave him this vision, a very clear vision. He listened, and he's willing to do really hard things, uncomfortable, costly things to do what God is calling him to do. And as he did that, this is what's so cool, he got a chance to see God's power. He got a chance to see God do amazing things, which leads me to my last point. 
So Paul and his boys, they get into this boat, they sail off for Macedonia, the first place, place that they go in Macedonia. So this is like present day Greece, right? First place that they go is this place called Philippi. And they felt like the best place to go in Philippi to meet people, to talk to people that had like this kind of religious bent was to go down by the river. And Philippi was very um, non-Jewish, very irreligious, right? And so a lot of times the religious people would go down for whatever reason by the river and they would pray. That was sort of a hub. And so they thought this is probably the best place for us to go in order to be around people and see what sort of doors the Lord opens up for conversations. And it doesn't take long before this group of ladies gather around them and they just start talking to them and one of them was Lydia and Lydia was somebody who was genuinely seeking God she wanted to know God in her life and it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message in fact look at it it's at the end of verse 14 it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message and then the next sentence is when she and the members of her household were baptized and it goes on from there so, so I, want, like, I want you to see this. God called them there, right? Paul and his companions. They listened. They're willing to do hard things. They're willing to do uncomfortable things. They went. And as they were going, God was simultaneously working in the people of Macedonia, right? Like they, he was preparing them for Paul and his companions' arrival. And when they go, when they actually do what God is calling them to do, they get a chance then to see God do absolutely amazing things. They get a chance to see God's power at work. And so not only does, like think about that, not only does Lydia, who's, who's right there with them, who's hearing them go, oh my goodness, I believe this makes sense to me. But somehow she gathers her family together and they hear the message too and they go, and I also believe and I also want to get baptized. Do you know, so, so this is in the book of Acts. A little bit later in the New Testament, um, Paul, the guy who we're talking about here, he's writing these, so he's planted all these churches and he's writing these letters to these churches. And one of the churches that he writes to is the church at Philippi, the book of Philippians, right? Do you know who, as far as we know, the very first person who was part of the church of Philippi was? Do you know who it was? Lydia. She's the very first convert in Philippi, like she's the founding member of the church, all because Paul and his companions did what God said they should do, what God was calling them to do. God was working and he was preparing the way, right? He was working in people's hearts and all of a sudden this church starts. You go a little bit further in uh, this chapter, in chapter 16, and you see a similar thing. I just think this is so cool. We don't have time to go into all of it. But Paul and his companions this time are actually made really uncomfortable when they're arrested, they're beaten, they're put in jail. God does some amazing things and simultaneously God is working on the jailer's heart. And so the jailer, God, God does, you should read the chapter. God like shakes the place, there's an earthquake. God does these amazing things. And the jailer says, sirs, and so he's talking to Paul and his friend Silas. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in their house. At that hour of the night, so this is in the middle of the night, the jailer took them, he washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. You know who that is? I think those are the next members, founding members of the church of Philippi. And you look at that and you're like, man, that is God's power on display. This is what our God does. 
like when we're listening to him, he speaks to us. It's not always in visions in real overt ways, but he speaks to us and we hear and we understand if we listen to him. And he leads us to places and to people and he prepares people's hearts, right? And we get a chance to see his power on display. So here's the last question that I ask myself. Am I ready to be blown away by the power and plans of our great God? Like as my eyes are open and I see people that are begging for the gospel, as I'm listening and I'm willing to go and do hard and uncomfortable things, am I ready to see God do absolutely amazing things? And, and here's a beautiful thing. Like not only do we get to see it and witness it, but like we get a chance to be a part of it. Like we're not seeing it from the sidelines, from the stands, like we're watching a game, but we're like players on the field, right? And we get a chance to be used by God as he absolutely transforms people's lives. And here's the thing, he did it 2,000 years ago and he does it today too. Like please, please hear this, God changes lives. Maybe, maybe this weekend you sit here and um, you would not identify yourself as a Christian you're here maybe because somebody that you love is getting baptized they invited you or maybe you're just curious a little bit more about Jesus maybe you connect more with Lydia in this passage where you're like I'm I'm seeking God changes lives like if you want him to if you invite him to God will transform your life he did it 2,000 years ago he does it today as evidenced by the 10 people that are getting baptized this weekend and so I want to um before we do the baptisms, I want to spend a few minutes. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about baptism and, and kind of all get on the same page so that you know what's happening here. So um, let, me, let me kind of transition to that here. I think, I think, again, baptisms are really cool for all of us. If you're a Christian, they're cool because you get to see God working, right? If you're not a Christian, it's cool because also, like, you get to see, like, is, is this God who I hear all this stuff about real, does he actually do things in people's lives, right? Does he transform people? You get a chance to kind of see that. No one who's getting baptized this weekend um, is like forced to get baptized, you know? Like no one's pressuring them and saying, you really should do those. They're like all doing this because God has done something inside of them. So, so let me um, just uh, explain a little bit about baptism with four questions. Here's the first question. What is baptism? Well, baptism, it's a Greek word. It's from the Greek word baptizo. And what that word means is to immerse, to dip, to submerge, or to clean with water. That's what the word means. So literally, it means like to dunk, to submerge. And it's not a religious word. It's actually a, a word that was used quite often um, back in those days. It's an ancient Greek word. It was used um, very commonly. In fact, there's a story, I always chuckle with this, there's a story of a Greek philosopher who somehow we have um, document of his pickle recipe. And in his pickle recipe, he uses the word baptizo. He says, you need to baptizo the pickles in vinegar in order to make good pickles, right? And um, so baptizo is just like, it just means to dunk, right? And so um, this weekend, we're not going to baptizo any pickles. We're going to baptizo people, right? But that's what the word means. It means to, to immerse. Um, so why do we do it? Here's the second question. Why do we do it? Well, really two reasons. Number one is we do it because Jesus and later his apostles told us to do it, right? So if you know much about the story of Jesus, after he resurrected from the dead, before he ascended up into heaven, he, again, he talked to his apostles, he showed himself to people. And one of the last things that he says at the end of the gospel of Matthew is this. He's, he's talking to his disciples, and I think us as well, and he says, therefore go 
and make disciples, make followers of me, followers of Jesus, um, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says to, to his followers, he says, I want you to tell other people about me, and when they trust me, when they say yes to me, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A little bit later in the, in the book of Acts, which is the book we were just in, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, Peter is talking to a whole bunch of people and he's telling them about Jesus. 2,000 people, that, two or 3,000 people come to trust Jesus that day. It's like ex- absolutely incredible. And, um, and I'll just start right here. It says, so they say to Peter, they're like, brothers, what shall we do? Like, what, what should we do? We get this. It's cut our hearts. Like what you've said about Jesus has cut our hearts. Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So that word repent is an interesting word. Essentially, all it means is to turn away. So like whatever it is that we're following, we all follow something in life. Many times it's kind of just whatever we want it's kind of our own selfishness but we all follow something repent means I turn from whatever it is that I'm following and I say I want to follow Jesus right and so so Jesus and the apostles tell us to be baptized so that's the first thing why we do it here's the second thing to be obedient and to show that we're all in and so I've said a couple times over the last few weeks as we talked about baptism um, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized as a, as since you've said yes to Jesus, you should be. Like you just, you, you should be. And you go, well, why? Because God said you should be, right? And, and like we should do what he says, right? And you go, why should I like obey him? And you go, why should I obey him? Well, I don't, we don't obey. We don't do what he says because um, I, I fear punishment if I don't do it. You know, maybe he's going to pull my salvation away or maybe he's going to make my life really difficult or punish me. That's not why we obey. We do it because we love him, you know? And we do it because he loves us. And you know, well, if I really love Jesus and he said, I want you to be baptized, then I'm going to be baptized because I love him and I know he loves me, right? Same thing with like following our parents. Little, little tiny kids, you follow your parents sometimes because, do what they say, sometimes because you don't want to get spanked, right? Like I got spanked a lot when I was a kid because I did a lot of stupid things. But as you get older, you want to do what your parents say because you love your parents. You don't want to cause them heartache, right? It's the same thing with obeying God. So, so that's the second question. Here's the third question. What does it mean? Like, what does baptism symbolize? Like, what happens? Like, we're going to do four of these. Does something magical happen here? Well, no. Nothing magical happens. Like, none of the four people at the service that are getting baptized are getting saved. Like, all of them previously have said yes to Jesus. They've placed their trust in Jesus. They believe that he is who he says he is. Right? And so all of them, their eternity is already sealed. And so none of them are getting saved. Like the Bible is really clear that salvation is a gift to us. There's nothing that we could do to earn it, even get baptized. And so none of them are getting saved. What it is, this is how I would answer the question. Like what does it mean? What does it symbolize? It's an outward expression of an inward transformation that has happened and is happening. It's an outward expression of something that's already happened inside of us and is continuing to happen. And so we only baptize people who've made a conscious decision to say yes to Jesus. So that's why we don't baptize kids here, right? 
Because a child can't make a conscious decision, a baby, for example, can't make a conscious decision to say yes to Jesus. But adults can, or young adults, or even a little bit older children can, right? And so it's this outward expression of what God is doing inside of us when we put our faith in him. He's transforming us. And let me give you kind of two symbols with baptism. So one of them is like death to life. So a lot of times when we think of death, um, sorry, this sounds a little bit morbid, but we think of like dying on your back, right? And so you, you kind of go down into the grave. And so you're taken down in the water and then you're raised up to like new life. So there's a symbolism of death death into the grave being raised up. That's one of the symbols of baptism. The other symbol is that it's like we're being washed clean of our sins. And so water washes us, right? And so we're going to take them down into the water and it's like we go down into the water symbolically with kind of the dirt and filth of our and guilt and shame of our sinfulness and then we're pulled up and we're washed clean. Right? So those are, those are kind of the two big symbols of baptism. And then I would say this too, that um, it, there's this public, public identification that goes along with baptism as well. So we only do baptism in front of people. Like we never do a private baptism because there's this, there's this thing where I go, I, I am identifying with Jesus and I want everybody to know it. And so we use kind of the metaphor of uh, a press conference. So like when a professional athlete changes teams, they um, you know, meet with the GM, maybe the owner of the new team, behind closed doors, maybe in one of those guys' office during the week, and they sign the contract, they sign the, the papers, and they are now officially part of that new team. And then sometime later, they have a press conference where they stand up and in front of everybody and they go, and I am on this team, right? Baptism's kind of like the press conference. Each of them have already, you know, this is a quote unquote, signed the papers. They've already said yes to Jesus. They're on Jesus's team. But this is like their press conference. They're like, and now I want to celebrate and I want everybody to know it. The second thing sometimes we talk about is like with um, like wedding rings, right? A lot of times when people get married, most of the time when people get married, they exchange rings with one another. But the rings don't make them married, right? What the rings do is they're symbols of this internal commitment that a husband and wife have made to each other. And that's kind of what baptism is. Baptism doesn't make you saved, but it's a symbol of, what, of like this internal commitment that you've made to each other. Does that make sense? So, so let me give you one more question. How do we do it? Well, I've, I've uh, already talked about submersion, right? So we, we immerse you in a tub. So this tub's got water. It's not that cold. I promise those of you that are getting baptized, it's not that cold. Um, but we're going to have you get into it and we're going to like bring you down under the water, okay? And so there's this immersion thing because that's what the word means. And then um, we do it, we get you really wet with it. We do it three times. So we dunk you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and we do it forward, actually, too. So maybe this is a, a little different than how you've seen baptism done in the past. Um, we do it forward. And the reason we do it forward is um, re- really because of two scripture passages. So there's this passage in Romans chapter 6 that talks about being baptized into the likeness of Christ's death, right? And so well, like those of us that are, that are Christians, we're baptized into the likeness of Christ's death. And again, a lot of times when people die, you kind of, you die this way, Right? But Jesus died differently than most people. How did Jesus die? He was hanging on a cross, right? And so it says he pulled, in uh, John 19, 30, it said his head came forth. He, he, he bowed his head and he gave up his last breath. And so Jesus died kind of going forward. And so that's why we do it that way. We, we baptize going forward. 
that stuff, you know, three times and going forward is, is not the big thing with baptism. The big thing with all of this is that you have 10 people this weekend who were all following something. They were all living their lives for something. And each of them have said, from now on, I want to live my life for Jesus. From now on, I want Jesus to be the center and the focus of my life. And that, that's the big deal with all of this. And baptism is a symbol of that.